I want to tell you that what God has laid on my heart is this, that for each of us, a call is coming. For each of us, a phone is going to ring. A trumpet is going to sound. And God is going to call each of us to take a stand as a warrior in his kingdom. There's going to be a moment for each of us when we're going to be called to be the watchman on the wall, sounding the alarm. When we're going to be called to put on the armor of God and stand in the gap. When we're going to be called to pick up a sword and join the battle. Welcome to the Fallen State. I am Jesse Lee Peterson. Thank you so much for being with me. Remember that the Fallen State is now on Locals.com. So click the link in the video description to support our work. Also, members, you can also support the Fallen State by joining our channel membership on YouTube. You can become a member by joining it. The channel membership on YouTube. I have with me David Yarns. David is an Air Force veteran and military defense attorney. David, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thank you for uh, having me on and talking about these important issues. Yeah. I saw your interview with Tucker Carson. And it was very, very interesting. Yeah, that was uh, so early on in the vaccine mandate fight, it seems like, but we've learned a lot since then. Yeah. Uh, it was great that he was willing to cover it, but it's, uh, yeah, it's been a wild uh, year and a half now. It's been amazing. So, David, you, um, you, I believe I read that you joined the military after the 9-11 attack in, uh, in uh, New York, right? That's right. I was uh, I was a law student. Um, I graduated from law school in 2002. So so 9-11-2001 happened while I was in law school. And once that happened, I, I felt like, you know, if the military needed me, if they needed lawyers, it was my opportunity uh, to serve. Uh, my grandfathers both served, one in World War II, one in Korea. My father volunteered to serve in Vietnam. And so I felt like it was my turn and my opportunity. So I so I joined the Air Force as a JAG and served on active duty for 11 years. That's amazing. How does the military feel about you defending these guys? Uh, what do, do they do? They yell at you? How, <laughs> what do they say about this? It's a good thing, but what are they saying about it? You know, it's an interesting it's an interesting issue because uh, up until uh, the 21st of December, I still continued to serve as a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force Reserve. So while I was fighting and defending all of these military members, I was still serving. My last job um, as a reservist was an instructor teaching military justice at the Air Force JAG school. So I, I was concerned about some blowback. In total, there was very few people who confronted me to my face or, or gave me a hard time. Some of that's because there are people that respect the system, at least, right? Especially within the, in the JAG Corps, there are people that they might disagree, they might not understand a particular fight, but they at least want the system to work well. So with internally within the Air Force JAG Corps, there was only a couple of people that, that took issue uh, with the work that I've been doing. Absolutely. Um are you surprised at the way one thing have led to another for you? You were in, in college. The incident happened in, in New York. You went to the military. Now you're representing the military. 
I can imagine that you never imagined one day that your life would be like this. Am I right? No, that, that that's absolutely right. I, you know, I didn't know what uh, military service would look like for me other than I, I knew I felt called. I felt it was my responsibility. You know, God gave me the ability to be healthy and fit. And so I, I took the opportunity and I served. I love serving on active duty after 11 years after deploying. Um, I actually worked full time for the Pennsylvania National Guard. Pennsylvania is where we call home, my family and I. And so I came back and did that for two years before I transitioned into private practice. But yeah, I never expected to be in this kind of a fight for fundamental constitutional issues, for religious freedom, for military members. Um, God's just, God's been amazing. There's been so many pastors and so many great men and women that have joined us in this battle. And it's just been a blessing to me to see what God has done through this. There is a major attack on white people in America and in all the white countries. Um, you're a Christian, am I right? That's right. And so it's the attack on white people due to the fact that these people hate Christianity, hate white men, or is it both? What is it? Why is this attack happening on white Christian men? You know, I, I think that's an interesting question. And I, I think we have to... We have to look at fundamental issues. That's what I try to do as a Christian. I try to look at, you know, what is, what is the underlying sin issue? Yeah. What, what is the issue that we're dealing with? So f- for me, you know, what I've learned as an attorney serving in the military, the work that I do is I've learned to me that secular humanism and atheism, those, that, that's a religion, right? That's a religion, whether they yeah. want to call it, you want to call it that or not. Yeah. I believe that's a religion. That's a faith, right? You're placing your faith in man instead of your faith in God. But secular humanism and atheism really is the religion of tyranny. And so what I see is a sin issue where where the world and others are trying to divide people. They're trying to put people in categories. They're trying to, to, to pit people against each other. So whether, you know, in the past with communism, it was labor versus management, rich versus poor, yeah. class versus class. Now it just feels like every way that the world can divide people, um, we're all created uh, in the image of God. We're all created equal. That That's some of the founding principles of our founding documents as a nation. Um, but there's just an effort to undercut that and attack that. So from my perspective, I think going after those fundamental biblical truths, those fundamental basic truths is just as part of it. I think it starts there. I remember when Rush Limbaugh was alive, he would talk about how they were trying to turn Christianity into a secular religion. And I remember when they first started attacking the military, Russia did not like the fact that they were trying to turn the military into a social experiment. And Mm. I remember hearing him say that, but I never imagined that it would get to the point where the leaders of the military would deliberately weaken the military by taking out the straw men and replacing it with weak people putting all our lives at risk, why would they do that? I mean, it just, why would they do that in the military? Well, you know, I think there's, again, there's a lot of different factors that go into it. One of the things that was that just on that, when we talk about military leadership, that was so eye-opening to me is, is here in central Pennsylvania, we have the, the Army War College. It's in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. So that's where 
army leaders go uh, to become uh, to get the training they need to be successful as a colonel, right? right? So they're going into a command position, and sometimes other members of other branches go there. But I met one of the professors at the Army War College at a wedding, actually, a few years ago, and he had done a study about integrity in the military. And this is fascinating. This is around 2015. But what, what he was looking at in this study was, is there an integrity crisis in the military? And so here's what he did, and here's what he found. He found that, just as one example, there were not enough hours in the day, not enough days in the year for military members to do the job and complete all of the mandatory training that the Army was assigning to them. Yet every single commander in the military was signing off as all their soldiers were 100% complete on that training. So, so what does that mean? That means in order to check a block for an inspection, in order to be at 100% and say they're at 100%, military leaders were shown to have compromised their integrity because it was important to say they were 100% when it was physically impossible to do that. So that to me was a real eye opener. You know, I was a reservist at the time and as a military officer, that was a real eye opener to me to say, you know, what are we creating in the military system that's, that's creating a bureaucracy that says, answering the, the right way is more important than the truth. So that to me was a big concern. And we've just seen, we've seen a lot of issues where the military has been used for social experimentation and to push issues. Um, and, and it's hurt military leadership. So now, unfortunately, for so many military leaders, it's very, very political. And the pressure is to say the right things, to do the right things and, and to check the boxes on inspections. Rather than worrying about combat readiness, rather than worrying about true leadership, and we're just not teaching some of those things anymore in the military. The uh, I believe you mentioned on Tucker show that the Navy SEAL is under attack, and the Navy SEAL is pretty much men in that organization, right? Mostly men. That's right. Are they mostly white men? You know, I don't know what the statistics are. What I have seen statistically shows across across the military as a whole and across elite units like that, it is primarily um, – the Navy SEALs, it's all men. A woman has not successfully completed that training yet nice. to date. But it is, primarily, it is primarily Caucasian men in that field. And so in the Navy SEAL, are they attacking the Navy SEALs in order to get the white man out and replace it with weaker so-called – Whatever they call it, kind of stuff, and that's why that's why they attack it because they want it's predominantly white men who are strong and secure and work hard. They want to remove it. Is it primary to replace it with people of color, women, and drag queens and all that kind of stuff? Well, what what I can speak to for sure is that we we constantly see the military changing standards, yeah. and 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 that's the challenge, right? So we can look at what the army's done with their combat fitness test and other things, and you know the army tried to revamp their physical fitness test, and when they did, they developed a test that about ninety eight percent of women cannot pass. Nice. And so then they had to go back and change and change the test again. So the issue, the issue as I see it, and it's a grave concern for me is we've seen recruiting numbers plummet, right? The military is not meeting their recruiting numbers for 2022. It's not looking good for 2023. And the issue is, you know, the reaction to that by many military leaders and by others is, oh, we need to lower standards, lower standards, lower standards. That That's my biggest concern. I, I think we need a military that's focused on readiness yeah. and that's focused on people that can meet the standards that are determined by their job and by their responsibility. So anytime I see an effort, whether it's just 
to meet recruiting numbers or otherwise to, to lower standards, I think we should be asking the question, why? Why are we lowering standards? If someone is not physically capable of doing the job or they're, they're in a situation where they're not physically capable of keeping up, that's a concern. And look, as a father, um, I have two daughters. Um, I, I believe, you know, that our combat roles in the military should be filled by people that can physically complete the tasks that are required in combat. And I also believe we should be very, very careful at sending any women into situations, into countries where they're going to be targeted because of their sex, right? So I'm not saying that females cannot serve in the military, but I think we need to be very, very cautious. So I get concerned when we're fighting in the Middle East, for example, and we know what the consequences are for women that are captured. We know what the, that, that women are going to be targeted because of the way women are treated in this cultures. So I do think we have to have rational, reasonable policy. And I don't think we should ever be in a situation where we're compromising standards. And you're absolutely right. But why can't the leaders of the military up top, the top folks, why can't they see it that way as well? Because that's the truth. Well, that's important. And it's the truth. Why can't they see it that way? I, I think there are a couple of issues that go into that. One is at some at some point, many, many military leaders become successful as military leaders because they're politicians, meaning they're capable of navigating the D.C. environment, the Pentagon environment in such a way that they can put themselves politically in a position to be promoted. The other is we really do need to think about the standards we have in the military for our leaders. And, and one of the things I have seen a trend towards is what we reward is successful bureaucrats. In other words, if you if your numbers look good and you look good on paper, then you are primed for promotion. And we really need to be careful about that promotion process. What we should have is a military that has combat, successful combat capable leaders that are promoted to leadership positions and, and not bureaucrats. And when you have an environment that sort of breeds, you know, Promoting people who don't create any waves, promoting people who never say anything controversial, promoting people that are just good bureaucrats and won't create any waves, uh, that's a problem. And what we should be promoting is leaders that are willing to take a stand for readiness to do the right things and that have proven themselves in combat. And and I'm just not sure that's what we see moving to the top in the military anymore. What is the atmosphere uh, in the military now, now that they have women, gays, don't ask, don't tell, been overturned and drag queens and everything now. What is it like walking around, being a part as a regular military person? What is the atmosphere in the military? Well, that's a, that's a great question. There's there's so many layers to that. I, I'll just start with an example. So as a reservist, when I was still in, I had to go through anti-extremism training. Okay, so I had to go through anti-extremism training just like everyone in the military did. And I'm sitting in a room and I'm be receiving training where I am told, and I'll just listen to this. The person that was speaking was saying that if you are the kind of person who believes in an ideology so much that you would be willing to give your life for that ideology, then you are an extremist. You meet the definition of an extremist. And we should be watching out for those people. And I'm sitting there looking around the room going, no, wait a minute. I'm a military officer. Everyone in this room raised their hand and swore an oath 
to support and defend the United States Constitution. The idea of the Constitution, what our Constitution means, the, the biblical principles it was founded upon, that's what we swore an oath to do, to give our lives to do that. So I'm looking around the room at these other individuals, and you know what we, we're all saying to each other is, man, that's us. Like, we're the extremists then. That's literally what we do. So that was really eye-opening for me um, as a starting point. But I can tell you as a Christian, um, as a man of faith with traditional biblical values, who believes all of Scripture applies to all of life, there's really not space in the military for someone like me um, if I'm going to talk about my faith. And again, I could give a whole lot of examples. I've had chaplain clients that have been through difficult things. I had a Navy client who all all he did, all he did was have several Bibles that he purchased himself on his shelf in his office. And when someone came in to talk to him, if they if they ask him about, you know, what what's important to him as a leader, what drives him, what motivates him, sort of what's his leadership guidance, he would say, well, there's this book um, that is instrumental to me in my life and my leadership style. And I have a copy. If you want to take a copy, it's there on the bookshelf. Grab one. And it was the Bible. And the Navy tried to not only fired him from his position, but they tried to kick him out over that. So that's just that's just an example of the environment, particularly for Christians, for Christians who are consistent with their faith and want to live out biblical values in the military. Um, it does feel like you're strangers, right? Strangers in a foreign land in that regard. Um, and that's just amazing to me because I have grave concerns because there will be morality in the military. Yeah. There is a morality that's going to influence the military. It's just a question of of what morality that is. Is it going to be the Bible? Is it going to be God's law? Is it going to be the founding principles of our nation, of our constitution? Or is it going to be something else? Is it going to be secular humanism and atheism? And if it's going to be that, then I have grave concerns for what the future of our military looks like. Amazing, man. And so let's say that a person walked into a, a Muslim office there on the military base, and they had the Quran on the shelf. And the person said, you're free to take one if you want it. Welcome to it. Would that person be punished for, for mentioning the Quran? You know, I have not yet seen a situation or a case where someone who has been um, attacked, prosecuted, reprimanded for anything other than sharing the Christian faith. So I can't say definitively that that's not happened, but but that's not something I have seen in two decades of experience. That's amazing. And you mentioned the um, the um, I guess rabbis or preachers or whomever there that work on the base there they are under attack as well. Yeah, absolutely. I you know I really feel for military chaplains yeah, today chaplain, because. Yeah. You know, the chaplains, they have a very specific job. They have a, they have a skill set. They're there to help and develop the, the spiritual health yeah. of, of soldiers and airmen. And, they, and they're there to perform religious ceremonies and services. So it's, it's a challenging job. It's a difficult job. But, but here's the thing that we see is, you know, a, a Christian chaplain, someone who is a traditional Orthodox Christian chaplain who believes in the Bible, believes in the inerrancy of Scripture, um, is going to have very specific views on on sexuality, on gender, on marriage. 
Um, and those, I mean, that's what they're going to have to talk about. That's what they're going to counsel on. That's what they're going to teach when they preach. And there's really not room for that in the military. Chaplains are essentially being morphed. All of them, you know, if the military leadership had its way, every chaplain in the military would essentially be a, a Unitarian, not, not standing for anything, not, not promoting anything, not even their own faith. Um, and again, I've, I've had chaplains that I've represented and helped that have, you know, I had an Orthodox Christian chaplain who was reprimanded because he was unwilling to pray a Hindu prayer. I had a, a you know, a, a chaplain who was reprimanded, who was sidelined, who was ridiculed because he was unwilling to perform a, a same-sex marriage, which, again, what's difficult for chaplains is they could lose their ordination. And this is really, really important. So just like a, a doctor in the military or a lawyer in the military, you have to have a license. So I'm licensed as an attorney by the state of Pennsylvania. I have to maintain that license in order to practice in the military when I was in the military. It's the same with a chaplain. You know, a Baptist chaplain has to be ordained by a Baptist church. A Catholic chaplain has to be an ordained priest through the Catholic faith. Right. And what happens is these chaplains at times, I've had clients who were forced to do things that would violate the tenets of their religious faith, and they could lose their licensure, their ordination if they do it, and yet the military expects them to do it anyway. Um, real challenge for them, a real challenge. How can the military do that when these people are ordained and are licensed by the church and not by the military? How are they able to take that away from you? Well, again, they, the military can can put you in a position and has put some chaplains in a position where if they follow the military orders, they risk losing their license. So that's the choice they have to make. They have to decide, you know, what am I going to do? You know, and it's not different. I mean, it's slightly off topic, but it's not different from what's happened to military medical providers when it comes to um, the COVID uh, vaccine mandate. I, I have represented military medical providers who looked at the issues, looked at the particular issues for an individual military member and said this person should not, because of their medical history, should not receive this vaccine. And because they were writing up exemptions, even temporary exemptions, the military was threatening their license, was threatening to pull their their privileges, threatening to report them to their state as as giving bad um, medical advice. So it's not unprecedented, and it's not just chaplains that have had to deal with things like that. So does the uh, chaplain license come from the military, or is it from the church that they were ordained? So in order to qualify to be a chaplain, they have to have an ordination from a church. So they have to have that first. That's like the, that's the prerequisite for them. Right. So if that license is taken away, they lose their ability to be a chaplain as well, unless really? they can find some other church to ordain them. That's amazing. I didn't know that. So let me ask, uh, and then we'll move on. The, um, the men and women of the military now, those who are under attack, are they afraid to speak up even if they talk to one another about are they afraid to talk to one another about what's happening because they can't trust each other on these types of issues? You know, one of one of the things that that I have seen personally since um, we dealt with this religious discrimination as it as it relates to the covid um, mandates is we have seen a lot of military members come together um, and join up and speak. So. You know, when this started, a lot of us felt isolated, alone, yeah. nervous, didn't know what to do. Now, I was fortunate, you know, as um, as a Christian, as someone who'd taken a stand on those things, 
And as a lawyer, I knew what my rights were. I knew what the law said about my own personal religious accommodation requests. So I was in a good position. And fortunately, I knew a couple of other military attorneys, JAGs in the military that were of like faith. And we were able to start working together. But one of the biggest things, one of the reasons I even wanted to talk to Tucker Carlson and go on that show was to let others in the military know they were not alone. So there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of concern. A lot of Christians and leaders in the military were not ready um, for the kind of discrimination that was coming. Um, but I, I hope that's changed. And that's one of my my missions. That's one of the things that I hope to do moving forward as I retire, as I continue to practice representing military members. I want to work with organizations to educate and train military members and to help them know how to make the right kinds of stands in the right way and then have their back legally so that they can make positive changes because that's part of it. I think we've learned throughout society over the last couple of years, but it's amazing what happens when you just take a stand and you say no. You say no to illegal things. You say no to immoral things. You say no to unethical things. It is amazing what's happened. And that's part of what we've seen in the military. So in that respect, the military is no different. We need strong leaders who are willing to say, that is not right. That is not moral. That is not ethical. That is not good for our readiness. That's not good for our nation or the military. And we need to help them be encouraged to do that because it is amazing when when we move through these things and you see people that are willing to take a stand. It absolutely can make a difference. You're right about that. Um, um, uh, the military is not receiving as many volunteers and things that, as it used to. Um, do you... Can you tell me why? I already know why I think, but can you tell me why? You know, for me, as I look at it, as I talk to people, as I counsel young men who are considering military service, there are several factors. But, you know, part of it is – to me, it's almost like if if I was, you know, being recruited to play college football, right? And I and I and I had a coach reach out to me who said, "Hey, listen, um, we want you to come to our program because it's easy here. It's not that hard. We don't work you that hard, and you know, you're going to be fine. You're going to do well. The standards aren't that hard to meet here. Am I going to go and play college football there, or am I going to wait for the college football coach who says, "Hey"? We are the heart. We have the hardest training program in the nation. We are the best. We do things our way and we're going to push you and push you and push you to be the best man that you can be through our program. Where am I going to go? If I'm worth anything, where am I going to go? Which program am I going to choose? I I know the answer to that. You know the answer to that. To me, it's the same with the military. So this idea that we're going to have a military that is welcoming and friendly and kind and gentle um, and is some sort of a grand social experiment. I'm not sure the kind of people that's attracting. And I see it over and over again. I was reading a story this morning, just statistically, multi-generational military families are not recommending military service for their children. Yeah. So, you know, that to me, when you're, when you're constantly lowering standards and you're not calling people to a higher level of achievement, the people you are bringing in are not necessarily the kind of combat leaders that we want. Um, number one, but I just, you know, lowering standards to me does not attract the right kind of people. We should be encouraging people to improve themselves, to push themselves to be, you know, the uh, motto for the army used to be, be all that you can be, right? I've heard they're yeah. actually going to bring that slogan back, which will be interesting and funny, but that's, I think that's a huge part of it. But, uh, you know, as a parent, I look at my kids, I, I counsel others. 
Am I going to encourage young men and women to think about military service today when uh, Christians are not welcome, when they're probably going to be encouraged or forced to use pronouns in their emails, right. um, it, when they're going to be subjected to uh, cultural indoctrination as it relates to uh, transgender issues and other things? You know, I'm not I'm not real comfortable with that. And, you know, as well, you know, for me, military service was about serving in a cause I believed in and I believed it was just. And I believed that, that I could serve God well in doing that. And if, if that's not the culture, if there is no spiritual aspect to military service, if we're not even going to worry about things like just war theory and what it means to defend our nation, um, I just think you're going to see a lot of really good people who are not going to feel comfortable serving in the military moving forward. Nathan, do you see... In a hope of a change, now that you're working in it, you're representing people there, do you see that this, I mean, is there any hope that it could go back to being strong and the best qualified man and have nothing to do with color or sex and all that crap? Is there a change coming at all? So I think there is, I think there is absolutely hope for the future and, and I can give a, a few reasons why. First, I think that everything that's happened with, with COVID and, and in particular the way Christians were treated, yeah. people of religious faith were treated through that. I think it's been a huge wake up call. And the reality is, you know, I'm sitting for the first time, for the first time in 20 years, I'm representing military members and I'm sitting in uh, court martial type proceedings or administrative discharge board proceedings. And I'm looking at military officers and saying, look, what the military is doing is violating federal law. They're part of the executive branch. Congress makes the law. The executive branch enforces it. The military is creating a constitutional crisis by ignoring federal law. I never thought I would have to say that in the military, yeah. but that is waking people up. And we've won some of these cases. I mean, one of these, one of the first COVID cases I did, senior, three senior Navy officers looked at the evidence and they said, wow, this order received the COVID vaccine was not a lawful order. In this case, not a lawful order as a prize to the sailor. And th that's what they found in that, in that hearing. That was foundational and, and, and huge. So I think there are, a whole lot of military members, thousands and thousands that are absolutely willing to take a stand and to do the right thing moving forward. And that is super encouraging. And, and keep in mind, keep in mind, people forget this, but let's go all the way back to August of 2021 when the Navy SEALs I was meeting with, when we were having those conversations, they were being threatened with court martial. They were told you will be court martialed if you do not get this experimental medical jab. That's what they were being told. And they said, you know what? We're willing to take a stand for our faith. We're t willing to take a stand for the law. Go ahead. If that's what you're going to do to us, we're willing to take that stand. That's incredibly encouraging. Yeah. And so we've learned a lot from that. So I don't believe – I know I personally I'm going to be working hard. I'm going to be working with um, nonprofit organizations to educate military members and to make sure we're prepared and that – military members have the kind of legal representation that, that they need. So I know I'm not going to stop. And I know there are thousands of military members that are awake 
to these issues that are not going to back down. And we really do want to bring the gospel to the deep state. We want to bring the gospel to the military because that's the kind of transformation we need. Look, I believe that biblical principles, all of scripture to all of life results in common grace and is an incredible blessing to everyone and is the only example in history that leads to any kind of freedom, religious freedom, and other freedoms in society. So I, I'm not giving up, and I believe God is calling us to push into that fight. So I do believe there's a lot of hope. And just imagine, I mean, the military didn't think military members were going to take a stand. And at the height of this, there were over 200,000 military members that were willing to risk everything, their career, their retirement, right. to say no to this. Yeah. And they didn't back down. And that's what it took. It took a critical mass to slow things down, so that we could get into federal courts and eventually get Congress to, at least in part, rescind the mandate. So, yeah, there's a lot to be encouraged about. Can they fire the heads of the military? I can't think of any of their names right now. I know there's some black guy that's ahead and somebody else. Can they get fired for discriminating and, and weakening the military and doing all these crazy things? Can they, can they be fired? They, they absolutely can. At that level, they serve. Um, at the discretion of the president. So the president of the United States oh. can, can fire those. So, so that's what you see. So, you know, the current military leadership is put in place, is selected essentially by the, the presidential administration. Oh. So I, I don't think we're going to see any significant changes at the highest levels in the military, no. um, during the current administration. Um, but Congress can certainly act. You know, Congress has had to act to essentially tell the military, Hey, this is the law. Follow it. Federal courts have had to act to say, hey, you're you're discriminating against um, Christians. You can't do that. You're violating the Constitution. You're violating the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. So hopefully there will be congressional uh, oversight, investigations into these things that will reveal things that may make certain military leaders' continued service untenable. Well, when we get the great white hope back, he'll fire them and he'll put it real. <laughs> you know who the great white hope is, right? I do, I do. Yeah, there were certainly patriotism. There is no room for prejudice. When he come back, he'll get rid of those leaders. <laughs> Agree? I, I, it, it, look. If he if he comes back, I think there will be an effort, a, a renewed effort to clean out um, some of the senior leadership. And yeah. I think, you know, some of those changes and controversies were battles that were happening uh, during during Trump's first administration. Right. So uh, I think that, you know, he has shown a willingness as a leader to take a hard stand and confront some of those things in the entrenched bureaucracy. So uh, I would expect that again. Nice. And so um, what do you I don't know if you can say or not. What do you how do you personally feel in America, this country was founded by white men who believed in God and with the help of God, he caused them to create the greatest country on this side of heaven ever. And now just being the white man is under attack, especially white conservative Christian men. Uh, they are replacing it with people who are not qualified and they are teaching critical race theory. They're literally out loud saying that we hate white people. We want to destroy them. In essence, that's what they're saying. And the white man is literally under attack. How do you feel about that? What do you think when you see that? 
You know, what, what I think is, I think we need revival. Um, and, and we need to focus on understanding that all of us are created in the image of God, that we're all fallen. No one is perfect. But, but, but listen, what's critical to me, what matters to me is, you know, that when we talk about standards, that standards are the same, that standards are the same for, for everyone. Yeah. So when we talk about military readiness, serving in the military or other things, that that's what to me is important. I believe just I believe as a Christian, as a man of faith in equal protection for everyone. And that's what we should be focused on. And we should be focused on bringing people up. We shouldn't be focused on tearing people down or lowering standards. We should be focused on encouraging people to, to turn to Christ and to, to live up to higher standards, to live up to the standards of the scripture. That's, that's what I want to see. That's what I want to focus on. So for me, I just pray every day that God gives me humility, gives me the ability to represent my clients well and, and to share the gospel. And, and I hope to do that. And I hope that in me, people see not, not my skin color, but, but my heart, my faith, my desire. Um, that, that's what I want. That's what I want to see. So I don't, I don't harbor bitterness. I harbor disappointment when we lower standards and it hurts the military or hurts other people. That disappointment, but, but I think, um, you know, God is good. God reigns and, and he alone can change hearts and minds. Why do you think that because most of these people don't believe in God? So they don't believe that we're created in the image of God. They believe in anger, hatred, and all. They believe in the devil. So most people are not going to change. What do you think that, um, why do you think white people, not only in the military, but in the sec, in the rest of the world, in the country, they are afraid to speak up now. They don't want to be called racist. They don't want to lose something. Why do you think they put material things before God? Those that are afraid to speak up. You know, I, I think that if, if you don't believe in God, then, then this is it, you know, yeah. and there's a lot of different things we could look at that. But I mean, I look, you know, culturally, I look at like Darwinian evolutionary theory. Um, to me, you know, where I'm coming from on that is that, that, that theory justified racism. That theory justified dividing people uh, racially and and it led to things like survival of the fittest. It led to this idea that if we, you know, have a eugenics movement where we breed people a certain way, we can have a society that's a utopian society. So I see all of those things to a backdrop of this and I see I see sin nature. But, you know, ultimately, I think we have to just as Christians, we just have to continue to share the gospel. We have to continue to share the gospel truth and not be afraid to do that um, because God can work miracles. And, and we're just called to do that. We're called to make disciples, to share the truth. We're not responsible for the results. That's up yeah. to God. But I I see hope. Um, and, you know, I just strongly believe that, that God is reigning and, and we will see change. Do you I believe and I don't know if you agree with this or not. Uh, you mentioned in Congress and all that. I believe we have a one-party system now. When I I used I was at one time a Democrat, and then when God changed my heart heart from anger to love, I realized I could no longer identify with the Democratic platform. Right? Mm. They're anti-God, anti-family, anti everything that's good. And so I read the Republican platform, and at that time, the platform at least agreed with the principles of God: God, family, country, constitution, strong military. But now we own, we have a one party system 
the Republicans are no different than the government, and not all of the representatives. I know there are some in the midst of the crazies that still try to stand for God, for the country. What do you think? Do you disagree with me or agree that we have a one-party system now? Oh, I, I absolutely agree that, that we have a one-party system. It, it feels like what we have at best is, is controlled opposition. Yeah. You know, and this is, this is something I, I learned from my military service. This is something I saw when I deployed. You know, what we have in this country is a, an all-powerful bureaucratic state. Yeah. You know, the bureaucracies, these huge federal bureaucracies control so much of everyday life. And really, Congress and, and the uniparty system, they don't really care and they don't really want to do the hard work day to day of governing. They just yeah. sort of have ceded everything to these huge, you know, bloated federal bureaucracies. And now we're seeing that those bureaucracies are entwined with big business. We're seeing it with, you know, Eisenhower, President Eisenhower, when he left office. I mean, think back to that, warned us about the military industrial state. I mean, that, that is a real warning. Go back and read that. I encourage anybody to look at his, um, his farewell address and just talk about the warning of, of bureaucracies and the intermingling of experts and science in the military industrial state. So I say all that to say, there's very little incentive for politicians in D.C. to take real meaningful stands and to push for change. It doesn't make them popular. It doesn't get them reelected. And so I, I do think it's a, a system, a political system right now where we're at, where getting reelected is the most important thing, continuing to have power, continuing to have access to insider training yeah. so that you can leave Congress a multimillionaire. All of those things are there. And and, you know, you, you'll reap those rewards if you're part of the uniparty system and you just sort of, hey, let me, let me raise a stink over here, but it's not really going to change anything. Um, I'd like to see change. You know, and I, I do think this, um, this push that was made to challenge, um, Speaker McCarthy and some of the things that were done there, I think that was helpful. It I think was. that was an indication yeah. that if a few people are willing to take a stand, just like a, a few people in the military were willing to take a stand in the beginning, you can bring and you can push for meaningful change. So I, I hope that's a positive indication. I've noticed that Christianity is very weak as well. The people know the Bible, but they have no, they have no strength. They have no courage. And they, they are afraid to stand up for what is right. You know, uh, the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. And so when you're truly born of the spirit of God, not like just walking down to the front of the church and accepting Jesus, that doesn't work. But when you're truly born in, of the heart of the spirit of God, it takes away the, the fear, the doubt and all that. Christianity, for the most part, doesn't have that anymore. The people know the word, but they're cowards. And they believe that Christians should be involved, shouldn't be involved in government. Christians should, how can we turn, how can I get my country back if the, if the Christians are weak as well? Well, you know, what they say is that, you know, bad theology, right? Bad theology yeah. is dangerous. Bad, yeah. bad theology is a problem. So we, we forget history and we forget the history of our nation. Look, there would not have been a revolutionary war. There would not have been an American revolution if it was not for Presbyterian yeah. preachers talking about spheres of authority. There's a, there's an individual sphere of authority. There's the family. There's the church. 
And then there's the civil, the government. And, and so bad theology, heretical teachings, misinterpreting, taking Romans 13 out of context has created huge problems for the church in America. So you have churches, you have pastors, you have leaders that don't want to speak to cultural issues at all. Yeah. They don't want to speak truth to power. They don't want to be prophetic in their preaching to civil leaders that are not following God's law. And so we've lost that. And we instead have a watered down evangelicalism where so many pulpits are just, you know, if they're even talking about sin at all, they're talking about it in terms of apologizing that the Bible says things. They spend five minutes apologizing before they even talk about, (laughs) you know, uh, being pro-life, right? Oh, well, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and, and, and we want to talk about forgiveness before we even talk about the issue that we're murdering. Life, we're ending life. So, you know, that, that's a big problem, but a lot of it comes down to a theology. And, and the other thing you talk about fear, here's what I believe. I believe in common grace. I believe all of scripture applied to all of life generates incredible blessing and generational blessing for a nation, for a people, for families. And, and if Christians are sharing a version of the gospel and hiding behind being gospel centered, but but not speaking truth, not speaking in the culture, then we're we're holding out. We're not loving our neighbor because we're not sharing the blessing that comes from following God's law. He's our creator and he wants us to be blessed by following his principles. Absolutely. And if we're not willing to do that, we're we're missing out. So we're seeing a decline in the church. We're just seeing a decline in irrelevance of the church. And we're seeing a church that is not willing to engage at all far too often on any cultural issues, including calling sin, sin. So that that's a huge problem. We need revival in the churches if we're going to see law, sustained cultural change. And, you know, what's interesting about that, I will say, as I look across the world, you know, there are more Christians worldwide today outside the United States. There are more Christians worldwide than any time in history. There are revival happening. There's revival happening in in China and South America and other places. The church is growing exponentially. Where it's not growing is in Western nations, where yeah. the church is not willing to take a stand and speak truth and call for true repentance and redemption. And and that's what we need if we want to see the church grow and have an impact on our culture. Is it possible to be called by God to preach the gospel and to be a Christian, born again of God? Is it possible to be called by God or be a Christian and have fear? You know, I, I think I think there is I think fear is part of our fallen nature. I think fear is real, but I think that God gives us the ability to have courage and overcome that fear. Yeah, he said and that so, so, love cast out fear. That's right. So so that's what I believe. So I believe if someone is truly saved and has fear, they're going to repent of that fear. They're going to go to God. They're going to ask for strength and they're going to rely on the Holy Spirit and on God to give them that strength to do that. Because, you know, fear fear can can cause so many believers to just pull into a shell and and to not speak out. And it can be simple things. It can be fear just of of being ridiculed, being laughed at, being criticized. It could be fear of offending a neighbor or fear of offending a family member or a friend. But that's not love. Listen, if you and I believe that without God's saving grace and redemption, you're bound for, you know, eternal damnation. It's not loving not to share that. It's not loving not to talk about that. Um, and so, you know, that's, you know, that's what I would pray for. And, you know, look, I, I am here. I was involved in this fight for the military only by the grace of God. God ordained it through impossible circumstances. 
and 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 brought me to that fight and 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 brought me to the forefront on it. But absolutely, I struggled with fear, but I prayed and God took it away. And there hasn't been right. a, a moment when I'm leaning on God that I haven't felt, you know, the only thing I can do is continue to speak out. The only thing I can, can do is continue in this fight because that that's what I'm called to do. I have to set fear aside. I was willing to risk my military career. I was willing to risk my retirement if that's what it took to do this because I was not going to compromise my religious faith and my belief in what God was calling me to do. Um, Amazing. And that there's nothing, there's nothing else I could do, but yeah. I can tell you when you're alone and feeling those things, uh, it's very, very hard, but God brought am- amazing people around me, brought pastors around me, brought military, you know, Navy SEALs. Talk about getting courage and overcoming fear. Spend some time with Navy SEALs. Spend some time with those guys and, and anything else you could possibly be afraid of in life kind of moves to the background pretty quickly. Yeah, they look like some tough guys, man. That's amazing. Will I ever get my country back? I grew up in a time down in Alabama on a plantation uh, under the so-called Jim Crow law. And yeah, America was amazing. I didn't know about any word uh, racism. The word racism did not exist at that time. Uh, black people and white people knew it was a spiritual battle, had nothing to do with color. And so those whites and blacks who knew that, they got along very well. There was no problem. And America was amazing. Will I ever get that country back, my country back? You know, I, I, I believe we have to get our churches back. I think we need to see revival and, and strength coming in our churches. And if we see that, then I believe that, that there is hope. But, you know, I also believe if if we do not repent as a nation, if we do not turn back to God, then then we will face decline and punishment. And I think a lot of the chaos that we're seeing in society, in all facets of society, the things that are happening in society are a reflection of our sin. They're a reflection of our failure to follow God's law. And, and there are consequences. Look at history. Look to the Bible. You can see those consequences. So I pray our churches that there's true revival, that our churches engage, that we limit the power of the federal government. We get the government out of families, out of education, out of our churches. And, and then we can return to God's law to biblical principles and we can see revival. We can see blessing again. So, you know, my, my theology, you know, I believe that, that God is reigning and God's wins. I believe that Christ will, you know, reigns on the throne, that his enemies are a footstool. So I believe and I hope in that, but it's got to take revival. Yeah. I've always said a long time now that there is no such thing as racism, sexism, homophobiaism, Islamophobiaism, Debbie Dadism. Allahu Abbaism, white supremacism, anti-Semitism, that there are no isms. It's either right or wrong, good or evil. Our battle is a spiritual battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities. And so I say that there's no such thing as those isms. Am I wrong? Oh, I, I 100% agree with you. And, you know, the, these are sin issues, you know, and yeah. everything we do in life, we're making a choice on, on who we're going to worship. And it's really, really simple. We're either going to worship God or we're going to worship man. Yeah. Right. And when we're worshiping man, we're just doing Satan's bidding. Yes. So, so that's it. All of life, everything we're doing, we're either worshiping God. We're even moving towards God. We're either, you know, asking for, for God's forgiveness and repenting and doing those things or worshiping man. And when we turn our sights, to man, 
when we turn our sights to ourselves rather than God, when we worship the creation instead of the creator, you have all these isms, you have all these problems. I mean, again, I just look, look at history, look at even recent history, you know, the rise of communism, the bloody century that that was with World War One and World War Two. That was worshiping man, worshiping man's yeah. ideas, pursuing false ideas of, of utopianism through eliminating the family, through eliminating religion and faith in society. So, I couldn't agree with you more, and I think it is really a question. Are we going to worship God, or are we going to worship man? Absolutely. What is, uh, I've noticed that men are very, very weak. You know, there's this order of God and Christ, Christ and man, man over woman, woman over children. And in a family, only that order is going to work if it's not there. I've noticed that, like I've never seen before, men are very, very weak. Why is that, and can that, I know it can change, but will it change? You know, I, I think one thing we've absolutely seen is is an attack on masculinity yeah. and then also a, a false masculinity. So there's kind of two parts to it, right? Things typical things that we see as as masculine and good and heroic have been been attacked, have yeah. been belittled. You know, uh, we've even seen, you know, Christian writers talk about, oh, there's too much of a John Wayne mentality. Well, what, what do we say by that? What we're talking about is, you know, I, I grew up, I, look, I, I grew up, my, my father wasn't perfect, but, but he was a good man. Yeah. And he tried his best. And, you know, look, he read, he watched John Wayne movies and he read Louis L'Amour books. And there was this idea of what it meant to be a man. And yeah. being a man was being a protector and you don't kick a dog and you don't, you know, you don't curse in front of a woman and you're, you're respectful. But when the time comes to protect those that are weaker than you, you'll give your life to protect them, right? This idea of what it means, means to be a man. That ideal of manhood has been so attacked, has been seen as so toxic and it's been replaced with we, we keep our men today as children. Yeah. We keep our men yeah. as 13 year old boys. We tell our men that being manly is sleeping around, that being manly is, is watching football, getting drunk, living for the weekend. And, you know, that, that's what we show as manly. So not only do we attack what, what being a godly man, what a picture of that looks like, what being a tough man looks like, we've attacked that, called that toxic. We've replaced it with men that are just little boys that yeah. never grow up, that are never responsible for their actions and are encouraged to engage in, in sinful behavior. And so we see men who don't earn respect of other men. We see men who don't earn respect of their own wives, their own children. So that that is a huge problem. That's under attack. We need to get back to that. We need to get back to that. And you know, one of my fears for the military is, we have lost that kind of training and teaching. We have lost that that ideal. What are we teaching military members now? Why aren't we teaching them about men like Patton, men like Eisenhower, yeah. you know, true heroes, even men like Billy Mitchell, who was controversial but changed air power in the Air Force? We don't teach those things the way we used to. We don't teach them the right way. Uh, we're spending time teaching about other things like using your pronouns in, in emails, <laughs> um, and that's dangerous. So we've, we've lost something there for sure. Huge problem. Uh, I know we're running out of time here. I wanted to ask, we were raised in the home to be men. You know, from day one, we were taught to work around the house and in my case, the cotton fields and all that. We were taught to treat others the way we would like to be treated. We were taught to, uh, I was taught that at 18, I had to leave, go out on my own. And they prepared me for it by teaching me to work, how to treat people and be responsible. Um, why don't the parents teach that to the children? 
so that when the kids go out into the world, they're not so easily deceived by the children of the devil. You know, somehow generationally, we've lost some of that, right? So we have we have parents that are more concerned with being friends, with yeah, being yeah. buddies with their children, right? You you see that? You yeah. know what I'm talking about? They're more concerned about that than they are concerned about you know instilling basic values. And at some point, you know, the everybody gets a trophy mentality, right? Everybody gets a trophy mentality. We don't want to keep score. We don't want to hurt kids' feelings. You know, that that's really, really unfortunate because it doesn't set a standard and it doesn't teach kids to do hard things. Because yeah. what happens? You know, you, you want to serve in the military. You want to be able to do push-ups. Guess what you have to do? Push-ups. Yeah. And you have to push yourself. You have to push yourself till you can't do anymore and, and your arms hurt and you fall down. And then you get back up the next day and you do it again and you do more. It's hard, but you grow, you develop, you learn. And and we're missing that. And our schools don't teach those things either. Right. You know, I – I was homeschooled through my sophomore year of high school. We keep our daughters at home. And I, I think education, the education system is a big problem because yeah. we, we, you know, more than pushing kids to meet a standard, we sort of teach outcome based things, equality based things. And, and we miss something, you know, and, and teachers, even in college, even in college, professors that are too hard or fail too many students, you know, they get bad marks or they don't get promoted or whatever. So we see that sort of, that that whole issue throughout society and we need to push we we need parents that aren't afraid to push their kids to work hard to do hard things and to grow and if we miss that we're going to have generations that aren't prepared to go out in the workforce that aren't prepared to serve in the military that aren't prepared to take a stand and make a difference what a mess one last thing about that and then i gotta move on because of time here um a lot of men who are married they have children they're married with children but their wives are unwilling to, number one, father the husbands, number two, to stay home and watch over his children for him. She would rather be out feeding her own ego by going to work and acting like the man. Why don't, no, I have two questions. Why would a man marry a woman that's unwilling to follow him and a woman that's unwilling to stay home and watch over his children? Well, you know, I, I think just like society has created a lie for men, you know, that sort of perpetuates lifelong adolescence and childhood in men. Yeah. We've, we've done the same thing. You know, societally, we, we teach our, our young women that the way to be, you know, what they're to aspire to is, is to live a life that is separate from a family, that they, they don't need yeah. husbands, they don't need children, they need to go out in the workforce and be successful. And that's how to live a fulfilled life. And you know, I know, you know, we, we tell men and, and we know, I mean, it's, it's part of our mythology. It's part of everything we see. If all you do in life is go to work and, and just work hard and, and try to seek advancement and don't ever spend time or develop relationships, you might die with money, but you're going to die alone and sad and unhappy. Yeah. But that's the model we're sending to women. We're saying, Hey, the way to be fulfilled in life is to just work hard, just advance your career, just do those things. Not, not, have anything to do with a family that's not the biblical model it it's a deception it leads to an unfulfilled life so that's part of it but again it's just it's a lie yeah. that society is telling our young ladies um and we need to work on that we need to set good examples in church we need to set you know wives and mothers need to set good examples as well i i um i did a story this morning concerning abortion out in indiana i guess they ban abortion right and so what they have done now, some of the so-called organizations down there have created drop box where if the girl doesn't have an abortion, 
to, uh, she can't have it in Indiana, so she ended up having a baby. As soon as she has the baby, she can take it to this drop box at the post office somewhere and drop the baby off in the box and somebody will pick it up. Have you heard about that? Wow. I, I didn't know they were they were pushing that now. Yeah, and, and they're saying that it's growing and growing and they're starting to find numbers of babies being dropped off in the drop box because the woman wasn't able to abort the baby. Wow. I hadn't, I hadn't heard about that. Yeah. Well, I know there's a whole lot of families out there that are, that are more than willing to, to adopt and, and to yeah. welcome those babies in if they, if they know about them. So man, that's, that's a matter of prayer, but yeah, I mean, abortion is just such a lie. That's just such a lie that we yeah. tell our young ladies as, as well. Um, that's man, amazing. That's sad. So I got to put you on the hot seat. I got to heat this up and put you on the hot seat. All right. Okay. So I need you to answer these questions as quickly as possible. All right. The hot seat. What is love? Mm, love is is giving giving one's life for another. Is the earth flat or round? Round. <laughs> Do we need more white babies? <laughs> we need more. We need more babies. Period. Um, I started White History Month. Uh, this is coming up our sixth or seventh year, I think. Five, four, somewhere. And where July is White History Month. And the whole month, because July just feels white. I know you uh, understand that. And so we celebrate White History Month. Will you celebrate White History Month with us this year? I will celebrate Accurate History Month. So if we're <laughs> talking about Accurate History, I'll gladly celebrate that with you. What is a man? Man, a, a man is is created by God uh, with a specific role. So I look to scripture for, to define a man. Are UFOs real? <laughs> I I think it's a strong possibility. Um, true or false? Abortion is worse than slavery. True. Does a chicken have lips? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever um have you ever told anyone how the cow ate the cabbage? No. <laughs> True or false, Camilla Harris is the worst vice president we have ever had. Oh, uh, false. Who is the worst? Uh, oh, I, I don't know anyone that's worse than her. LBJ. He was a vice president? Oh, yeah. He, he was a vice president. And LBJ he was worse. Than Camilla Harris? I believe that very strongly. Was the civil rights movement good or bad for the blacks? Hmm. Overall, uh, when the government got involved, bad. Does racism exist? Yes. Did the bear shit in the woods? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, man, for taking on the hot seat. I appreciate that. Did you have fun? Absolutely. Absolutely. Amazing. I appreciate that. Tell the folks how they can get to your website or whatever. You need help out there uh, working for the soldiers and things like that. Tell them how to reach yeah. you. 
Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Davis Yance, D-A-V-I-S, my last name Yance, Y-O-U-N-T-S. So at Davis Yance on Twitter. The website for my law firm is just YanceLaw.com. So those are two places to check us out. Look for a, an announcement soon about the next step we're going to take to um, get involved with military members and and to share the gospel within the military and federal law enforcement. That's going to be coming this year. So more, more to follow on that, but stay tuned for announcement. But at Davis Yance at Twitter and YanceLaw.com. That's amazing. I wish you well, man. And when I saw you that day on Tucker, it, it made my heart glad that somebody is really fighting for the soldiers, for the men in military, because it's, it's a mess what's happening to them, especially the white male uh, Christians in the military. So I'm glad you're out there. And thank you for coming on. And thank you all for tuning in. I do appreciate it. Don't forget, members, you can also support our membership program there by joining the channel membership on YouTube. We're also on locals.com. Click the link in the video description to support our work. And thank you all for your support. Let me hear from you. Thank you again, Davis. I appreciate it, man. That was fun. Thank you. I enjoyed it. All right. Bye, folks.